Students, it's great to have you with us this morning. May God bless you guys as you step out. Expect God to do wonderful things. Believe God is going to do wonderful things in you and through you. And know that all of us will be praying for you. We love you guys. We're so excited for you. Glad to have you uh, here. I, I think it's really cool that today for the next two weeks we are going to be talking about the next generation. The generations behind us and here we have our high school and junior high students uh, among us. We're doing a two-week series starting today that I think is absolutely fundamental because it's a series on parenting, gospel-centered parenting. It's based on a new book written by one of my favorite authors, Paul Tripp. The title of the book is Parenting, a profound title. And what we're going to do is take the first half of his book uh, today, the second half of his book uh, next Sunday, and what I think is additionally really timely and important is this series is all about our first value applied to parenting. What is our first value? That the gospel isn't just a starting line, it's a whole race. What is parenting? Uh, well, parenting means that we understand that the gospel isn't just the starting line of parenting, but the gospel is the entire race of parenting. And today I want to drill down, I want to unpack some of that. Now parents, I would love for you to get this book. I want you to get this book. If you like to read separately, moms and dads, get two copies of this book. We have dozens of hard copies in our bookstore. You can get one right after this service. We're going to be unpacking this this week and, as I said, next week. I can't think of a better way for you to launch your summer, parents, for you to reorient your thinking, rekindle your thinking about what it means to be a parent than by processing this book together. So go get this book. Download it online if that's how you access your books. Now let me start with a story. Actually, it's a story of failure. It's a story of one of my parenting missteps. And it took place almost 20 years ago. Our family was running late for a flight out of Midway. And I don't handle late well. Uh, especially back then, I, in my brain, had elevated, almost elevated, being late right up there with denying Christ. <laughs> and, and it didn't make for a happy family. So I was fuming because I was convinced we were going to miss our flight. And it was their fault. I, I was convinced, and this was a large part of it for me, that we were going to mess up the people on the other end of the flight uh, waiting to get us. And it just happened to be, I'd just been here for like two years and just happened to be the chairman of our elder board. And I really didn't want to disappoint him. So I was feeling this pressure. And I wish I could say I was rejoicing in Jesus. 
I wish I could say that I was confident in the sovereignty of God in this particular situation. Even though that's what I preach, in that particular moment, I was denying it. I had these emotions going on inside of me, and finally they just came out, and I gave my family a portion of my mind I could not afford to lose. And it was ugly. It was a horrible way to start our vacation. We made our flight. But here I am, what, uh, 22 years later or so? And as a dad, I still regret that. I say this because our problem in parenting isn't our spouses. Or it isn't a lack of a spouse. I was raised by a wonderful single-parent mother. Our problem in our parenting isn't our defiant kids. Our, our problem is our sinful hearts as mom and dads, right? When we functionally and situationally deny uh, the very mercy and love and grace that God has freely bestowed upon us in Jesus Christ. And so what do we do in those situations? Well, we yell, we threaten, we say absurd things, and we sort of just boil over in anger. So today I want to help you, moms and dads, you grandparents. I want to help all of you as we think about the generations coming up behind us, which is critical when you think about the culture, the world we live in. I mean, is it going to get more difficult to stand for Christ? Maybe. So we need to think about these generations. We need to think about gospel-centered parenting. Unfortunately, too many of us are like the unmerciful servant in Jesus' parable. Where we as moms and dads, as Christian mom and dads, have been forgiven a debt of 10,000 bags of gold. Uh, but we get angry and we yell at our kids because we can't forgive a few small silver coins. So I want to help you, but I want to help you from the perspective as a fellow struggler. I have a lot of experience, but not a lot of expertise, okay? I mean, I have four biological kids, three stepkids. We have five grandkids, and who knows, maybe another 50 on the way. So I've got a fair amount of experience going on, and really what I want to do and what um, God has laid on my heart is I want to challenge, I want the Spirit to challenge your paradigm of parenting. Because I want you to understand the beauty of gospel-centered parenting. So today I'm going to do three things. I'm going to talk about our vision, I'm going to talk about our role, and I'm going to talk about our focus. Vision, role, and focus. So let's start with our vision for parenting. And let's go back to the Old Testament. Grab your Bible, turn on your Bibles. There's Bibles in the racks in front of you. And let's go back to the fifth book of the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy and chapter 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to pick up in verse 5, and I want you to know this is the key passage in the Bible on parenting. We read, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your what? Hearts. Circle that, underline that. Impress them on your children. That is on your children's hearts. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. And here we have the central passage on parenting. Not surprisingly, when we come to the Gospels, Jesus picks this passage up and quotes, for example, in Matthew chapter 22, Deuteronomy 6, 5, verbatim. So look at Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Luke, by the way, adds Deuteronomy's word strength. Then Jesus comments on what he has just said and says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. Now, when you put these two together, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Matthew chapter 22, do you see what is going on relative to our vision as parenting? Our vision for parenting? Our our vision, according to these two passages, isn't that our children would be good. It's that our children would love God from their hearts. From their hearts. Now, parents, think about this. We want our kids to obey. We want our kids to be polite. We want our kids to get good grades, get good jobs, stay away from all the bad stuff, and we should. But God wants something deeper for our children. That they will live the gospel from their hearts. So let me speak uh, personally. Let's get Matthew 22 back on the screen. I want you to see verse uh, 37. I want you to think about it. But I want you to know that I have spent decades praying this one verse for my children. I pray other verses at other times, but week after week, month after month, year after year, for my kids and now my grandkids, I come back to this verse. And I plead with God, God, may you give the grace that my kids would love you from their hearts, with all their hearts. I want to commend this verse to you. I want to commend this concept to you. Because what Jesus is saying here is that the battleground for our kids is not their behavior, it's their hearts. The heart is the root. Our behavior is the fruit. That they would, from their hearts, love God. Now, please don't misunderstand. I am not advocating chaos in the home. Oh, Susie, it doesn't matter that you're throwing and busting all of mommy's plates. You love Jesus. Oh, Johnny, never mind that you're pounding nails into daddy's new car. You love Jesus. No. But what Jesus is saying, what I am saying, is if stains on your sofa are more important to you than the soul of your son, 
If keeping your car clean, what's going on at work, is more important to you than the heart of your daughter, you have missed the point of the greatest commandment. And the generations behind us don't have a chance in this culture. They just don't. So what is your vision? This is, uh, let me come at this a little differently. Uh, This is what I love about Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. It says volumes about parenting. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because everything you do flows from it. What do we as parents want to do? What is our vision for parenting? We want to guard our children's hearts. We want to speak into our children's hearts. We want to mold. We want to shape. We want to tenderize our our children's hearts because we know everything they do flows from what takes place in their heart. So, uh, again, being honest with you, the hill I have continually died on as a dad is the hill for my kids' hearts. And I've let this go, I've let that go, but I've been laser-like in focusing on my kids' heart. You know why? Because I want them to see Jesus as beautiful, not just useful. I want them to see Jesus as a joy giver, not a joy killer. I want them in their hearts to know that all the meaning, direction, significance, and love they desperately long for is found in the gospel. And one day, years ago, I knew I was making some progress when my oldest daughter, who was in seventh grade at the time, and I were on a mission trip from Wheaton Bible Church. We were in the country of Romania. And a couple of nights into the mission trip, she came into my room. I was almost asleep, and she was crying. Crying. Because her heart was breaking. She said, Dad, I I don't know what to do. What can we do as a, a church about the material and spiritual poverty we are seeing here with these Romanians? And she cried, and she cried. And I realized then that the gospel was grabbing a hold of her heart. What is your vision for your kids? Paul Tripp says that the reason we have problems at this point with parenting is because we tend to embrace an owner view of parenting rather than an ambassador view. Owner view versus ambassador view. Now, what do I mean? What does he mean? Well, owners tend to think their kids belong to them. That parenting is all about whatever they want for their kids, whatever they want to do. Owner parents focus on what they want for their kids and what they want from their kids. Well, little Susie, you are going to play the piano. And you are going to practice two hours a day. 
Or you are going to get really good at this sport that God has, seems to give you, has given you some gifts in. And as a matter of fact, you're going to work so hard at this sport that you're going to get an athletic scholarship to college. Man, you're going to study, you're going to make good grades because if you do, you know what? We can figure a way out to get an academic scholarship for you to college. Owner parents put huge pressure on their kids to perform. And suddenly along the way, it's no longer about their kids. It's about their preferences for their kids. And the problem with an ownership view of parenting is ultimately our children do not belong to us. They belong to God who created them, who sent his son to die for them. Look at Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Our children belong to God. We aren't owners, we are ambassadors. What are ambassadors? Ambassadors are people that represent either a country or a person. So ultimately, it's not our will, it's not our preferences, it's not our agenda for our kids. It's God's will, God's preferences, God's plan. Now, how do you know if you're an owner? Let me tell you how. If you tether your identity to your kid's success, you're an owner. If you find yourself super frustrated, angry at their failures, you're an owner. If you badmouth, uh, yell at teachers, their teachers, their coaches, owner. If you are comparing yourself, all, uh, comparing your kids all the time to other kids, owner. Owners cling to their own agenda. Ambassadors represent the agenda of another, the message of another, namely God. Which are you, parents? Owner, ambassador. What were you this morning on your way to church? What will you be this afternoon? What will you be on Wednesday? Owner, ambassador. So our vision is a vision for our kids' hearts. Now, our role is to understand our inability as parents to change our kids' hearts. So we're moving from vision to role, and we're beginning by talking about inability. Gospel-centered parents are strikingly aware, joyfully aware of their inability. Did you know that there are only two verses, get this, two verses specifically on parenting in the entire New Testament? Why? Well, not because parenting doesn't matter. We've seen this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Really, it's the entire book of Proverbs. Sons, sons, daughters. So what is, it, what is the point? Well, well, the point is... That parenting doesn't work, just as nothing else in life works, unless the oxygen we inhale is the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. That's why the entire New Testament focuses on Jesus. 
And the epistles unpack the gospel of Jesus. Now let me show you this. Turn in your Bibles now to the New Testament. We're going to spend some time in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians just happens to come after 1 Corinthians. Let's look at verse 5. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. Let's read it a little differently. Not that we are competent as parents in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence as parents comes only from God. Comes from God. Do you see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying when you recognize that only God can do in the lives of your children what you cannot do, that frankly you are not competent but only God is competent, then you are on your road to gospel-centered good parenting. Now let's think about the story of the Bible for a moment. Uh, One of the main takeaways in the Bible is that God never calls people that are able. Able. Abraham wasn't able. Abraham repeatedly lied. Joshua was scared to death about taking the promised land. Moses, man, he wanted to run from God. Gideon, David, his life was a mess. Anyone want to argue that when we come to the New Testament, the 12 disciples were able? No. Do you see the point, the point the Bible is making? The point the Bible is making is there are no able people. Hear me, there are no able parents. None of us. And I say praise God. Because the point the Bible is making in these stories after story after story is that God has called us to himself so that we would be dependent not on ourselves but on him. Our competency comes from God. That's Paul's wonderful point. It's life-changing if we as parents get this. Let me say it this way. Your inability as a mom or a dad is never in the way of God's plan. It's a part of God's plan. It's part of his plan. Another story. We have a daughter who for five years, while she was a teenager wore us out with her anger, her sullenness. I I look back on those days, and one of the specifics I remember is that our dinners, I mean dinner after dinner, weeks, months, years, were just miserable because she was miserable, and she didn't want to be around us. She went on all the Project Serve trips. She was a regular part of our church, but when she was at home, she really didn't want much to do with mom and dad. We read, we bought and read every book on the angry child. We talked to people. We went and talked to a counselor. We sent our daughter to a counselor. 
Nothing, nothing for five years worked. And we would have self-destructed if we had assigned to ourselves a power that we do not possess. You parents, we do not have the power to change the hearts of our children. We just don't. And when you get that, it frees you. We don't have that power. I, I mean, think about it. We know we don't have that power because of, oh, why would Jesus Christ come and die? Why would he send the Holy Spirit if we had the power to change our lives, to change our kids? The perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's God's historical declaration that no human has the power to change his heart, her heart, or a kid's heart. You do not have that competency. That belongs in the domain of God. Now look how Paul Tripp puts it in his book. This is why I want you to read his book. Parenting is not about exercising power for change in your children. Parenting is about your humble faithfulness and being willing to participate in God's work of change. Parents, now here's the statement, but we're going to continue. Parents, God has given you authority for the work of change, but has not granted you the power to make that change happen. But we buy into the delusion of thinking that that power is ours. We think that if we speak just a little bit louder or stand a little bit closer or make the threat a little bit scarier or the punishment a little more severe, then our children will change. And because the change doesn't happen, we tend to bring it on even stronger. Oh, sure, you can scare or reward your children into temporary change. You can temporarily buy them off or scare them off. You can exercise temporary control over a child's behavior. But what needs to change in order for that change to last and to bear fruit is something inside the child. Let me say it this way. The behavior of your children is symptomatic of what is going on inside your children. Inside change always precedes lasting outside change. In parenting, what you are dealing with is way deeper than the need for behavioral change. What you're always dealing with is the need for heart change, and we simply have no power at all to change another person's heart. The reason we yell at our kids, the reason we threaten our kids, we say absurd things to our kids, the reason we get so angry is because we have confused our authority for our power. Authority for power, power we don't have. Parents, your children do not make you angry. You choose to become angry because you've confused authority for power. Don't do that. Don't do that. God gave you the spirit 
to make you competent. God has given us the Spirit, has given us the wonder of the Spirit unpacking the gospel in order to do in the hearts of our kids what we can't do. Now let me go back to my story about my daughter. It doesn't always end up this way because I know personally all sorts of very troubled kids who have emerged from very good homes, very good parents. But when this daughter, after years of battling with her, uh, in January of her senior year, I think it was, uh, was starting to think about college and think about things, she came to her mother uh, and me and said, okay, I want you guys to sit down. And I just want you to listen to me. Because I'm going to tell you something and, and you can't talk me out of it. And this is how she talked to us. Dad, I'm going to go skydiving. You can't say no. As a matter of fact, Dad, would you come with me? No. <laughs> so we were sitting down. We were wondering what's going on. She said, I have decided that I am going to a Bible college because I need to get my act together spiritually, and you cannot, Dad, talk me out of it. And honestly, here's what I said. And I said it very gently, and I didn't, you know, I didn't, this wasn't my immediate response, but I said, Kyle, you're not going to make it nine months because Bible colleges have one thing that you hate, and they're called rules. And she said, Dad, it doesn't matter. Uh, this is what I need to do. Uh, God is laying on this in my heart. So she went to a Bible college, ultimately transferred, went, graduated from Wheaton College, and to prove that God has a wonderful sense of humor, you know this about God, right? She went on to grad school and she became a Christian therapist. I mean, talk about the work of the Spirit. We are not competent in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Nothing we were doing was working. Our competence is from God. Amen? Man, I want you to believe that. I want you to know that. It will deliver you from all sorts of heartache, all sorts of anxiety. And parents, I want to say to you in love, please, please stop beating yourself up. God has given you authority, but the power to change a heart resides only in him. Okay, so our vision is for the heart. Our role is to understand God's ability and our inability. And now I want to focus on focus. I want to move to the subject of focus. What is our focus as parents? And actually here I'm extending our vision. And I'm nuancing it. Because our focus needs to be, here it is, grace, not behavior. I long for your focus as mom and dads to be grace, not behavior. That's part of what it means to be gospel-centered parenting. Let me explain. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to see the next verse, verse 6, but we're going to back up and look at the first verse in this little paragraph of three verses, verse 4. 
So follow with me beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4. Such confidence. Notice the word? Confidence. You know what parents desperately lack today? is confidence. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Here's a verse we read earlier, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything from ourselves or for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. And oh, by the way, he has made us competent as ministers, as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, I want you to notice the progression in this paragraph. Verse 4 tells us this is a paragraph about confidence. Parents, God wants you to have confidence. Christians, God wants you to have confidence. But our confidence is never in ourselves. Our confidence or our circumstances, our confidence is in God. And if our confidence really is in God and not ourselves, that's the point of verse 5, then according to verse 6, our focus won't be on behavior, but grace, the gospel. That's what the phrase new covenant means. It was first unpacked in Jeremiah chapter 31. A new covenant ministry, the new covenant, the wonder of the reality of Jesus Christ who would come and would take our sins on the cross and offer us new life, new hearts. The opportunity to become new creatures in Christ through his death and resurrection. It's the new covenant. And here it's new covenant ministry. New co we're new covenant servants. So our focus is on grace, not behavior. And using Paul's language, it's not on the letter. The letter is a figure for law because the law kills, but rather on the spirit because it's the spirit that gives life to our kids. Now, isn't Jesus saying the same thing in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37? When he says, love the Lord your God with all, with all your heart. Isn't Jesus saying with everything in you, delight in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Then moms, dads, get up and walk down the hall and extend grace to your kids. Give them grace. Title of Elise Fitzpatrick's book. Extend it to your kids. But we, you know, it's like time out. Hold on, we got a big problem here. Why do we have a problem? Because we live in a performance-oriented culture. Ask these students. They know this. And what happens when you live in a performance-oriented Western culture like ours? The gospel gets squashed. And our parenting is about externalism. And I want to say to you, we're listening to the wrong voices as Christian parents. We're adopting the wrong values, the wrong models. We're reading the wrong books. So even as Christian parents, our focus is on our kids' performance, our kids' success. And you know what's happening? And there's all sorts of statistics to uh, affirm this. 
that our kids, by the time they become teenagers and beyond, our kids raised in Christian homes are leaving the church, leaving the faith in record numbers. Not because they're rejecting the gospel, but because they've never heard it. They've never seen it lived out in home. Because they have gotten tired of our moralism and our pressure as parents. When you reduce parenting to being a police officer, a lawgiver, a judge, or a jailer, you have reduced parenting to moralism. It's all about externals. It's all about behavior. And nobody can sustain that over time. Paul says the letter kills. Hear me, it kills your kids spiritually. And we end up as parents asking the law to do what only grace can do. Now don't misunderstand, our kids need God's law. Behavior matters. But the law guides, it does not give life. The law shows us what the Christian life should look like, could look like, but the law does not have the power to produce it. And ultimately, the law rules defeat it. Paul says they kill. Kill our kids spiritually. But I also want to say something else here, uh, something important. What I am not suggesting is that we as parents need to always be nice to our kids. I mean, we should be nice to our kids. Or that we need to raise our our kids in these easygoing, fun-loving, whatever matters uh, type of families where we're always on vacation, it seems like. Now, why do I say that? Because I know all sorts of kids that have been raised by fun-loving parents who do not know the gospel. So what does it mean to be a gospel-centered, grace-oriented parent? Let me conclude by highlighting a couple of statements for your thinking. First, it begins with us as mom and dads understanding that we are not, any, we are not fundamentally different than our kids. Actually, we are more like our kids than unlike our kids because from God's perspective, we are all, all of us, radically sinful and radically loved in Jesus Christ the moment we believe. So we are more like our kids than unlike our kids. Gospel-centered parenting means after we get that and understand that and understand our sinfulness of our own hearts, that we teach our children. We talk to our children, as we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We impress upon our, our children the reality that we, life, is not about us relying on ourselves. It's about us learning to rely on the living God who loves us beyond comprehension. So we say to little Elliot, I have a grandson named Elliot. Elliot, you don't hit your sister. Elliot doesn't have a sister. Elliot, you don't hit your sister. But actually, Elliot, the the reason you just hit your sister and really hurt her because you hit her with a hammer is that you have a sinful heart. 
Now, now follow me, parents. And because you have a sinful heart, you do the very things you don't want to do. And you have a sinful heart, just like mommy, just like daddy's heart. And yet Jesus loves you so much, Elliot, that he came to die for that sin. And when you believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus, he begins to change your heart from the inside out. And over time, you know, the good news of the gospel is you'll stop hitting your sister with a hammer. And we have those conversations all the time. We talk about our kids' radical sinfulness and the radical love in Jesus Christ. And we're always going back and forth because that's our dual identity, radically sinful, radically loved. And gospel-centered parenting means we understand as parents and we understand that our children fail in doing because they fail to grasp at a heart level what Jesus Christ has done. And so we focus on behavior. We don't live functionally daily in light of the gospel and the wonder of God's grace, our union in Christ, our communion with Christ, the fact that we are new creatures in Christ and we walk around life as Christian parents grumpy. God, deliver us. So gospel-centered parent, parenting means you're not enforcing principles You're modeling, you're rejoicing in Jesus and all that he has done. Let me tell you what Jesus has shown me today. Man, do you see these flowers? You know, Jesus doesn't just forgive us. He gives us joy. Here, smell them, look at them, think about them. And on and on. It's a conversation that we're always having in one way or another. It means the diff- gospel-centered parenting means the difficulty you face as parents isn't because God has forgotten you, but because God is tenderizing you. He is in the process of te- uh, transforming you because he's humbling you to make you more like Jesus. A gospel-centered parenting means that you are forever delivered from the prison of regret. Because Jesus bore all your guilt, past, present, and future, on the cross. And you are free. Gospel-centered parenting means that You are never alone in your home. That when you are having a conversation with a child and it's not going well, Jesus is there. When your heart is breaking or your child's heart is breaking, Jesus is there. Gospel-centered parenting means you understand that Jesus Christ has come to give us a, a joy that we will never find in our circumstances, we will never find in behavior. And I wonder this morning, do you know this gospel of joy or is your parenting about behavior because your life is about behavior? Performance. If you have never done so, come to Jesus. Receive him. As your Savior, he died to forgive you, to cleanse you, to remold you. 
Embrace the gospel, and now we're back to the beginning. Our very first value is a church, and it's why our, it's our first value. You see, when it comes to parenting, the gospel isn't the starting line. It's the whole race. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask for your mercy, for your grace, that you would change us, that you would deliver us. I pray for the mom and dads that are here that, whose hearts are breaking, who feel all sorts of guilt and shame. Would you show them the liberty and the love and the joy that is in the gospel and Jesus and the wonder of his love? In Jesus' name, amen.